you know, I've come to the conclusion that I need to not read certain things before uh, I come and preach because today two stories are going to be in this sermon that I just read about today. So uh, I ask the Lord to have him use these stories in the right spot. But the first story is one that I already had with this sermon, and it has to do with uh, Mr. George Frederick Handel. When he was eight years old, his dad says, you're going to be a lawyer, none of this musician stuff. (laughs) Okay, Dad. So one day, the dad and young George went to see the Duke. I guess the dad had some physician assignments there and went to see the Duke. Well, George didn't want to hang around that, so he went into where the chapel was, and the musician there was working on the organ. And George came up and looked at it and just loved looking at that organ. And the gentleman says, do you know how to play the organ? He says, oh, I'd sure want to play it better, yeah. He says, well, come on up here. Do what you can do. So he got up there, and he could barely reach the pedals and pulled out all the stops, and he started playing all the songs that he had been hearing at church. And as he was playing, the Duke happened to walk by, and said, wow, that's great music. Whose son is this? And this is, well, that's Mr. Handel's son. Call him for me. So he had one of his servants come and bring the dad here. And he says, who's his teacher? And the dad says, well, well, he doesn't have a teacher. I haven't planned to have him be a musician. Well, he says, you go to your town and get such and such to be his teacher because this guy's got talent. Hmm. Dad had one idea. George had another. And so did God. God has plans for us too. In fact, he says, I know I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil to give you a future and to give you hope. Boy, I hang on to that promise a lot. Because when I see everything uh, that's a mess in this world today, I say, huh, this isn't God's plan. This is somebody else's plan who is right before God, stood right in front of God and was spiritually blind and had blown it for himself, for a third of the angels, and for all of us today. But Jesus has a plan for us. In fact, his plan, as I've been telling my kids and keep emphasizing to my kids, right now my students at school, I teach at Redwood Adventist Academy, I teach 5th and 6th grade, are going through last day events. And we're spending three weeks going through studying about all the things that are happening in the last days. And as we're doing it, we're basically giving the key Bible studies that this church believes in. And I'm reminded, it just keeps popping up over and over again, that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, when the gospel is preached in all the world, then the end will come. That's why I'm here. That's the reason, sole purpose I'm here, is to preach the gospel any possibility, any time I can. He also tells us in 1 Peter 3, 15, to always be ready to give an answer for the hope we have. Well, Jeremiah 29.11 says God has a plan for us. He has a hope for us. And Jesus is coming back again. We need to tell people. And I'd like to suggest this morning that we need to be a John the Baptist for the last days. For you see, it tells us in Mark 1, I believe it's Mark 1. Yes, Mark 1, quoting Isaiah 40 verse 3, that John the Baptist was to prepare the way for the Lord at his first coming. (laughs) I read that and I said, well, why not be a John the Baptist before his second coming? Amen? Amen. 
You're going to find out some things this morning about John the Baptist. I'm sure you've read them over before, but didn't think about it in terms of how it applies to us today. We need to be a John the Baptist before Jesus comes back. And this morning, my key point is, Christians can direct people to Jesus by following the five actions or five steps of John the Baptist. We're going to look at five things that John the Baptist did that you've probably read over before and didn't think too much about it. But today you will by the time you get done. Five ideas that we should be doing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Our sermon will be coming from Luke chapter 1. See, right off the bat, John the Baptist had parents that we should be and we should be this way. For it says that John the Baptist, dad was a priest. Mother came from the descendants of Aaron. And it says in verse 5 and then into verse 6, they were upright in the sight of the Lord. They observed or obeyed all of the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. They were upright, blameless, godly, obedient people. We should be like that, shouldn't we? If we're going to make an impact in our society, make an impact in our school, church, job, family, no matter where we are, that's a good way I want to be. Godly and upright. Obedient and blameless. And yet, these people didn't have it all together because the Bible says they carried a little bit of a burden. They were childless. And the Bible says apparently... She was beyond the normal childbearing years, it says in verse 7. But one of the things we find out in verse 13, jump down to verse 13 with me, is they had been praying. They were praying people. So there we need to be blameless, spotless, uh, obedient, observant, and praying, even when things don't go very well. And they were. And they were praying and their prayers were answered. So here is a home that was praying and prayers were answered and there was an atmosphere in this home that was now joyful and happy. Our homes need to be like that too. And there are four descriptions of John now mentioned starting at verse 13 down to verse 15. And these are the four characteristics of John that I want to be like. For the Bible says he was a joy and a delight. We just like to have people say, oh, they're so-and-so. Oh, they're nice to be around. They're a joy to be around. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who go, and we don't want to be like that. I was showing my students uh, yesterday a, a interesting, um, well, it's a series that was on back in the eight, eight 90s, I guess, early 90s, called the Avonlea series. It followed up Adam Green Gables and Adam Avonlea. And there was this one episode where I showed him yesterday. It was entitled Conversion. And the people had this wrong viewpoint, this one lady in town who was a little eccentric. But because she did things the more naturalistic, holistic way, she was branded as a, um, as a witch. And the people were very critical of her, and yet she helped save the lives of two people in the town by using some herbs and medicines that cured them of a flu they had. But what was interesting is she was invited by a, an evangelist to come to the church. 
the evangelist was there to try to encourage people to reach out to the community. And so she was invited by the pastor. She says, I haven't been there for a long time. She says, I go to the round church, she says. So there are no corners in which to hide in. And so she came to the church and as she walked in, people wouldn't let her sit down next to her. I said, what's she doing? And she says, that's okay. I don't need to be here anyhow. Things haven't changed. And I won't go into all the details. But uh, definitely they were not a joy and delight. He was a joy and delight. Many rejoiced over his birth. Wouldn't it be nice to have people rejoice over us? Just our character. And it says that he was great in the sight of God. In God's sight, I want to be not great, meaning wonderful, but just accepted by God. And then it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this all happened at his birth. I'm thinking to myself, I want to be like that. I need to be like that. If I'm going to make any kind of impact in my classroom in front of my kids, if I'm going to make any impact when I am around anybody, I certainly need to be like this. We need to be like this as witnesses. For you see, we need to be a John the Baptist before Jesus comes back to prepare the way of the Lord. And so here are the five steps that John did. Step number one is the foundation. To build a house, you have to have a foundation. If you don't, forget the house standing. You have to build a foundation. And here's his foundation statement, starting at verse 16. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord. In summary, he will bring people back of Israel to the Lord, which implies that they were not back, they were wandering. Or they were complacent. See, they were God's chosen people, which sounds a lot like the remnant church. And yet they weren't ready John had to bring them back, which means they were separated. In fact, the fact that they were away, brought, need to be brought back, meant they were away. And that's your definition of sin. My definition of sin is this. Here's God. Here's me. God wants us like that. But when we sin, it's called a broken relationship. And scriptural support for that is Isaiah 59.2 that says our iniquity separates us from God. Our sin, another word for sin. Well, you came to church this morning want to be told that you're a sinner, right? Nope. But I have to mention that because to apply this to us, we need to be brought back to God. Because Romans 3.10 says, none are righteous, no, not one. That's me. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me. I just quoted Isaiah 59.2. I don't even want to go through 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, but I have to bring, bring it up a little bit because in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, it says, Mark this, in the last days there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, unholy, ungrateful, without love and forgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash. Wow, I just read the 6 o'clock news. I just read the front page of the newspaper. This is the way it's going to be in the last days. We see it around us now. Jesus says the way it was during Noah's time and it was gross during Noah's time is the way it will be before Jesus comes back. Isaiah 53 says, 53, 6 says, we like sheep have all gone astray. So no wonder John with Israel had to come to bring them back to God and no wonder today we need to have the same message. But here's the good news. We need to have some good news. Amen? 
can't bring people back to bad news. They can go, go live and find bad news. Here is the good news. God wants us to come back. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God wants us to bring, be brought back. That's why John the Baptist was to go prepare Jesus, people for Jesus. He wants us back. That's been his mantra all the time. You read in Matthew 3 and Mark 1, descriptions of John crying, calling, proclaiming, proclaiming. That reminds me of the first angel's message in Revelation 14.6 where he went and proclaimed the good news to the world. And he did it with a loud voice. That loud voice term has two meanings. Number one, the angel wants people to get in shape and ready and prepared for Jesus' coming. Number two, the angel's loud voice works through our voices. As you have thousands and thousands of people in the church excited about Jesus and telling people, the crescendo of the voice gets louder and louder to give the good news, the gospel. You know what the good news is? I'm going to draw it for you. Sorry, I don't have a board to write it on. So it's good for it. I've been doing this lately. So you'll pick it up. Here's the good news. You're going, what? Okay, let's start here. What's this? No. The cross. The good news is that Jesus went to the cross for you and I, but the good news is Jesus is no longer on the cross anymore. He took it. Where did he go after the cross? To a grave. But it's empty. And because it's empty, he went in and went out. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, we may die, but Jesus is going to resurrect us. And then he's going to resurrect us. This is the second coming. If you saw pictures of the second coming, I mean, it's usually not a real dark scene, is it? It's usually light and airy and spectacular if you've seen pictures of it. I know when Jack's been here and other evangelists, they always have second coming pictures there. That's the good news. When Jesus came to look for Zacchaeus, one of the great, great stories I'd like to tell you another time, verse 10 of Luke 19 says, Jesus said, this is my agenda. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's been Jesus' agenda from the very beginning. His mission from leaving heaven to earth was to come and seek and to save those who are lost. Jeremiah 31.3 says, Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. And in the context of that, in this Avonlea series, apparently this church was not showing very much love until finally at the end of the episode they got the point. 1 Peter 4.8 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, and he says in 1 Peter 4.8, Love deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Starts with ourselves. We are all sinners and we have a multitude of sin. Love covers that. He says in 1 John 4, 7, 8, he said, love one another. He says, you are, shows you were born of God, you were born again. God is love. There's a story about a young girl who was raised on a farm with her dad, a shepherd. She went and interacted with the sheep, knew sheep very well. When she got to be 18 or 19, she was tired of living in the country and tired of being out in the country. And when she'd go to the city every so often, she was amazed. Oh, man, I'd love to be here. So she finally said, Dad, I'm out of here. 
I want to go do my own thing. So she left and went to the city. Well, she got so involved in the city, she never communicated back with mom and dad for up to three months. And dad couldn't stand it any longer. He loved her. He loved her. So he says, Ma, i got to go find her. So he went to the city. He's not used to being in the city. The hustle and the bustle and the crowds and the lights and the people and all this. And he didn't know how to find her. This is before, you know, texting and GPSs and all those kind of things. Before emailing, all this kind of stuff. So he was looking, seeing all these people going by. And how would he recognize her? What would he do? So finally he do, did the only thing he knew how to do. He cupped his hands like this and he let out this large, long, loud call. The same call he uses to gather the sheep who are gathered all over the meadow. Half a block away in the back part of a saloon there was a daughter dealing cards. That's what she was doing. She spent her life and she got there sucked into the saloon life. She was dealing cards when suddenly she heard that and over the over the noise of the city and the noise of the saloon, she heard that. She went, what? <sighs> she keeps going and doing the cards and helping out with the card game. And Dad does it again. What? No, couldn't be. And she's going like this and dealing cards and stuff and Dad does it again. Suddenly she freezes in the middle of the cards. She goes, could it be? Because in her heart, she had yearned to leave that life and get back to dad. But she was too stubborn. Didn't think she'd be loved anyhow. She'd gone too far. And now that third time, she couldn't mistake the call. People say, what are you doing? What are you? Come on, keep dealing the cards. And she just dropped him and got up and walked out the door and turned to the right and there was dad. Big hug. Went back home. Number one, bring back people to the Lord. Now, the next three points are going to explain how he did it and who he brings back. How and who. How is he going to do this? How are we going to do this? He says, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Wow, if I want to be an evangelist, I want to go talk to Elijah. I want to see how he did it. 1 Kings 17 through 19 tells the great story of Elijah on that great battlefield of Mount Carmel. And then that great story, he went with the power of the Holy Spirit, with faith and with courage, and with a judgment message to bring back the chosen people, to bring back the remnant church of that day. And today we call ourselves that. Um, sometimes I think maybe rather than calling ourselves a remnant church, we should say we have a we are remnant people with a remnant message, and then live the message. In love, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, Elijah went out and told the people to make a decision. Power of decisiveness. He demanded for them to make a choice just like we need to today, just like our town and city and everywhere we interact with people. He says, how long, he says this in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long will you limp or waffle 
or be on the fence between two opinions. If God is God, choose God. If Baal is Baal, choose Baal. But quit calling yourself the chosen people and serving Baal. He says, get off the fence. Make a choice. That's a good message for us. Joshua, in his final message to the Israelites after he got them into the promised land, says, choose you. This is Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day who you will serve. And I'd like to suggest this morning, that's a decision we need to make every day. But another evangelist made this great statement from the Bible. This evangelist was standing there. He was a governor. He was the head of Jerusalem. And he had Barnabas on one side and he had Jesus on the other. And he made this very interesting statement that he didn't realize would be an evangelistic statement in Matthew 27, 22, where he says, what am I going to do with Jesus? And Pilate didn't realize he was giving the statement that has echoed through this life, through the years, through the centuries. What are we going to do with Jesus? Joshua said, choose you this day. Take up the cross daily, Jesus says. What are we going to do with Jesus? See, every day we have a Mount Carmel discussion to make, a decision to make, a choice to make. And the good news is, is the very first statement Elijah said after they set up the competition, you do your sacrifice, call for your God. If he comes down, lights the fire, he's the God, and I'll do the same thing. Before he got his sacrifice going, after the Baal prophets had messed up and failed, he says, come near to me. And see, that's been God's call through the ages since Adam and Eve messed up. God came immediately to seek them and said, come near to me. He's making the same statement through this town, through the Northern California Conference, through California, through the North American division, through the entire world, he's been making the same statement, come. He, he works through other denominations. We may not disagree with some of the aspects of the, the, the doctrine, but their message of calling. I'm, I, when I, sometimes on Saturday evening, I'll flip through the religious channels I have on my TV, and I, I like to center on uh, the Trinity Broadcast, Broadcast Network because at 6 o'clock or 6.30, they showed Billy Graham Classics. And they have show Billy Graham up there when he was in his 50s, during the 60s and 70s, and he up there. His message is very similar, but he gives them the same message of people to come, to recognize their need of Jesus and to come. And that's what Elijah did. He was bringing people back to God, just like John the Baptist. The way we can bring people back to God is like John the Baptist, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says he will go before the people in the spirit and power of Elijah through the Holy Spirit. John 14 through 16 gives us an explanation of some of the highlights of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Let me hit just a few of the highlights real quickly. Starting in John 14. He says in John 14, there it is, he says, I will spring, give you the spirit of truth who will be in you, John 14, 17. He says, 14, 26, the Holy Spirit who my Father will send will teach you all things. So every time you open the Bible, the Holy Spirit's there teaching you. Every time you watch a Sean Boonstra or whoever it is, the Holy Spirit's there. He will teach you all things so that then he will remind you of everything he said to you at the right time. 
Some people say, I don't witness because I don't know what to say. If you're filled with the Bible and filled with the Holy Spirit, He'll give you the right thing to say at the right time. Well, the Holy Spirit does other things where the Holy Spirit will be the Spirit of truth who will testify about Jesus. That's John 15, 26. Then I like this one a lot. John 16, 8, where he says, When he comes, he will convict the world in regard to the guilt and convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when the Holy Spirit does that, as he said in Acts 1 8, he told the disciples, Stay in Jerusalem until my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we see the Acts 2. The result, Acts 2. The day of Pentecost, we see the result in Acts 2. He would come with great conviction. When the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we will be much like Peter and John, who the Bible says in Acts 4.20, said, we can't keep quiet about what we've seen or heard. It will make an impact in people's lives. Now, one of the stories I read this morning that I'll share with you. Uh, some of you might be reading Dwight Nelson's uh, daily devotional called Chosen. Anybody reading that? Or is it just me? Great, then you haven't heard the story. Read it this morning. It tells a story about a lady by the name of Edwina Flynn who was a gifted classical vocalist. She went to New York City to begin work in the New York Conservatory going to classes and whatever. And the first day she went, she prayed, God, work in my life. Shine and witness through me today, anywhere I go, that I can be an impact on somebody else. Two weeks after that, on a day when the students were gone, she wanted to get some practice. So she went to one of the conservatory rooms and was practicing. As she was practicing, she heard a bunch of noise outside and three or four or five voices arguing. And they were arguing harshly. What's going on? They were getting louder and louder. And they finally came and she could hear the fury of their conversation outside her room. And suddenly, boom, the door burst open. And she was afraid. What are these people? Are they, what are they going to do? And as they came in, she recognized them as fellow students. And one of the students said, I knew you were here. You see, these four students were involved in the occult. And they had been arguing about what kind of magic did good, black magic or white magic. And in this conversation, she says, what do you come and talk to me for? I know nothing about it. And one of the students said, you know, I remember seeing you the first day of class. In fact, I saw you getting off the subway. And when I saw you, you had a light that seemed to glow around you that went before you and was around you. And I was really impressed by that. So she said, well, how did you know today where to find me? Because again, all the students were gone. It was a day off. Well, he says, we were outside the building arguing about this discussion when I saw an unusual light shining out from under the door. He said, it was the same light that shone that first day I saw you. I knew you were inside. When we have Jesus inside of us, as we're giving our lives to him, we will be a light to the community. In fact, Jesus says it himself over here in Matthew 7, no, excuse me, Matthew 5 over here in 16 and 17. In fact, there's a song now on the Christian stations, Caleb by Carrie Job says, you are the light of the world. 
You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden. Instead, you put it on a stand, it gives it light, light to everyone. And this light will shine before men so they will see the good de- your good deeds, but not for yourself. They will see the good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. A light to the world. That's how we're going to give this message to the people. Now, who are we going to give it to? The next two, story, two statements tell who. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Hmm. A very family-oriented statement. Last night at the Santa Rosa Church, they were showing the movie Courageous. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie yet. If you have, get it. If you've seen the movie Fireproof, it's just about as good. In fact, it is just as good. But the gist of the movie is four men who come with the, to the who face the reality of their presence in the family and how what they need to be as fathers. Gripping, gripping movie. And the Christian group Casting Crowns has a song called Courageous. It's sung at the end. And I forgot to bring the words into you, so I can't give you some of the key words. But if you listen to Caleb, you hear the song periodically and listen to the words because it really has a message about to fathers especially and to parents what we need to be in the home. And when I see this statement, turn the hearts of fathers to children, and I see the movie Courageous, I'm thinking of, first of all, focus on the family that for their whole message for years has been the home and the importance in the home of the parents. And then I think of the group Promise Keepers who will fill a stadium of 40,000, 50,000 men and the, and the speakers are leading the men to stand up and be just what the film Courageous is about. Several months ago, my daughter had me watch a 2020 uh, uh, news uh, program about four teens who were homeless because the dysfunctionality of their home. Parents getting rid of them can't handle them and the kids are living in all sorts of different situations. And I was thinking, what a rough time it is for young people today. I mean, it's bad enough that young people have the hormones that are naturally there and what the society is doing today that play on that. There was an article in the Press Democrat yesterday, I believe, about talking about parents dealing with kids when they hit their teens and all the stuff that they're being annihilated with. I don't know what the youth in Jesus' day were dealing with, but I was thinking, you know, here's a bunch of young people who are growing up being told they're the chosen people, and yet they're being ruled over by this Roman government. There must have been some issues going on there. Today we have so many homes where it's one parent raising the kids. If you go and you look at almost all of our penitentiaries in the United States, you will find that a large majority of the men who were in the penitentiaries came from single homes, were fatherless, didn't have direction from the fathers. John the Baptist was raised in a family of joy and delight. And so no wonder he would have a message about that today. A, holy, a message led by the Holy Spirit to bring people back. There's a story about a man who had become a Christian. And so a friend of his was talking to him about this conversion. He said, well, what, what country was Jesus from? And the guy says, I, I, I don't know. Well, well, what was his age when he died? He says, I, I don't know that either. He says, well, tell me, how many sermons did he preach? He says, I don't know that. 
He says, well, somebody who became converted to Jesus, you don't know very much about him. And he says, yeah, kind of embarrassed I don't know very much. But he says, let me tell you about this. Three years ago, our family was a mess. I was a drunk. We were in overwhelming debt. My kids were scared of me. They would go hide when I came home because dad was so violent. Then he says, I met Jesus and surrendered my life to him. And I learned about what his death and resurrection meant to me and it changed my life. He says, today, there's no more drinking in our home. We're totally out of debt. We have a home of great happiness. The kids meet me at the doors. He says, Jesus did that. He says, that's what I know about Jesus. Amen. So we found out that the foundation of John's message is to bring people back to Jesus. We found out how he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We found out one of the groups he talks to bring the fathers and the children back together. Then the other group he he talks to is to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness. You see, you keep seeing people being turned back, turned back, turned back because there's a separation. What's that look like? It says right here in the Bible, disobedient to wisdom of righteousness. Two of the steps of this is it says, turn them back to wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives it generously. Solomon in the book of Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters, spends a lot of time talking about getting wisdom. Let me read just a couple of the highlights if I can get it real quick here. He says in 1-2, for the attaining of wisdom and discipline for understanding and words of insight. He says in verse one, in chapters 1-7, the fear of the Lord or respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise that. He says in 1-20, wisdom calls aloud in the street and raises her voice. He says in Proverbs 2-2, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom. He says in 3-13, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. But John goes farther than this. He says to overcome disobedience, you have to seek the wisdom in righteousness. And then I'm thinking what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. He says, seek ye 23rd, oh first. I want to make sure we get that. I want to see if you were listening. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. What was Jesus' kingdom like? What was the attitude? He says, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. My kids can tell you what that means. It means Jesus is saying he wants up there to come down here to live in there so I'm ready for up there. I'll do that from the side. He wants up there to come down here to live in here so I'm ready for up there. That's what it means. That's what that statement means. See, Jesus' righteousness was shown at the cross. And 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Christ died for all, that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but will live for Him. That's where the change comes. We change because we come to the cross. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 9.23, take up the cross daily. 
Adoram Judson was raised in a Christian home. But when he got to his 20s, he said, I'm tired of this Christian God stuff. I don't believe in it anyhow. His dad said, son, this is really important. He said, ah, I want it. He says, well, you're old enough to make your own decision, but we'll be praying for you. So Mr. Judson joined a drama acting group, and they went from town to town to town to town. He had quit school acting. It was a fun life, parties, all sorts of things going on. They came to this one small town one day, one night, and he was tired from the acting. So he checked into his room, and as he was checking into his room, the head of the hotel says, you know, i got to tell you, right next door to you, there's a man who's dying. Oh, man, Judson said. But these are very thick walls. I don't think it'll disturb you, but I just want to let you know. Well, thank you very much. So he was so tired when his head hit the pillow, he was gone. He was so tired. The next morning he got up and nothing next door to him bothered him. So he came up and got out and he saw the guy at the hotel. He says, well, what happened next door? He says, well, the gentleman did die. That's what I said, what happened? He's already gone. He says, wow, that's too bad. Who was he? What was his name? And when he gave the name to Mr. Judson, he turned like white as a sheet. And he started shaking and he left and went and sat down. He put his hand in his hands and the gentleman says, what's wrong? He says, I know him. He was my best friend in college. He was the one that convinced me to have nothing to do with God. He says, now he's lost forever. He says, that could have been me. Turned his life around, went back to school and went into the ministry and became a great evangelist in the country of Thailand. Five steps. Number one, bring people back because we're not with God. Number two, do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, turn the change, work in the homes, change the hearts of the fathers. Number four, change the general disobedience to come to wisdom of righteousness. Number five, tells us what the final goal is. Everything culminates with number five. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we're here for. If you walked into my class and you looked at the southwest wall of my classroom, my Bible bulletin board, I have a big giant, big giant picture of Jesus that my in-laws gave me a long time ago. Put it up there. It's that big. And then right below it, the theme for this year is prepare for heaven. And everything we've been talking about this school year keeps coming back to that statement. Prepare for heaven. It's especially vital for what we're studying right now in class, end time events. And they saw an interesting movie yesterday I showed them called Beyond the Sun. It tells the story of a Muslim young man, possibly in the country of Iran, who became a Christian and went back to see his parents for the last time and tried to convert them. Boy, did he get in trouble. Interesting story. Caused my kids to think up, stand up and think twice. And a couple of the students remember what Jesus said. Even in your home you'll be persecuted. See, we're just here temporarily. I may, I don't know if I told this story or not. Forgive me if I did. But there's a story my kids do a play on every five or six years about a girl who comes to heaven, meets her guardian angel. Guardian angel takes her all around heaven, shows her all these things in heaven, how wonderful heaven is. And the girl keeps asking the guardian angel to make changes, make changes, make changes, make changes. 
Finally, the guardian angel's getting tight, writer's cramp. And, and she says, and, and she's not writing anymore, just kind of quiet. And the girl says, well, what's wrong? Oh, you're not writing any more things down. You know, what's the problem? And the angel says, you know, God's spent a long time preparing heaven just to be real special for you, and you seem to want everything to be changed. He says, well, well, she says, just give me some time. She says, give me a couple hundred years, I'll change. And the angel made this statement. She says, that's what your lifetime has been about, to change. Wow. Tough statement. But that's right. See, we're just here temporarily. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, the song says. <clears throat> uh, Rick Warren says we should, as Christians, be carrying a spiritual green card. You know what a green card is? People who come from outside the country get it so they can stay here, but they don't. it shows that they're just here temporarily. Their home is really somewhere else. As Christians, we need to have a temper, a spiritual green card. We're just here temporarily. We're just a passing through. I like how Paul says it in Philippians. See, Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he has it right. He says, one thing I do. He says, I forget what's behind. We need to do that. So many people are dragged down by what's happened in their past. Sometime try to drive your car sometime. Do this where there's no cars around. Try to drive your car down the street by, first of all, putting something over the windshield in front so you can't see where you're going and just use the rear view mirror. See how fast you can go and how straight you can go by looking at the rear view mirror. You're looking backwards trying to go forwards. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain towards what's ahead. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. God has called me heavenward. And then he says in verse 20 of Philippians 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Not might be, not could be, maybe, there's not 50% chance our citizenship is in heaven. But yet, you and I all know that so many things distract us. There's so many activities that distract us. I go to board meetings, church board meetings. And you know, Ellen White says board meetings are supposed to be where you plan for evangelism. Most church boardings, we spend time talking about the heater and the color of the carpet and a bunch of minutiae. And sometimes, as it's happened at our board meetings, sorry to have to say, that you know we have something about evangelism down on, on, on point number eight. We don't even get to it. These are pastor realizes, well, I can't have you here all night. Now, I know there's some pastors who run board meetings three, four hours, and you know after the first hour, you've lost everybody. Number eight needs to be number one. And the other stuff will take care of itself. Yes, I know we have to have the heater working. And the carpet, well... Most people are only seeing the carpet once a week. But nobody's going to see nothing if you're not out there bringing them into Jesus. Our strain, our focus. Well, that's why I'm here this morning, to share this. One person said, if you miss heaven, you missed everything. Another person says, aim for heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth, and you'll miss both. So the question of the hour for me, talking to myself, this has just been, by the way, I've just been talking to myself. You guys have been polite enough to sit there and listen. The question for me is, what am I doing to get ready and prepare for Jesus? We do a lot of things in preparation. My kids have to prepare for tests, and I always tell them, you know, I tell them what's on the test, I tell them when the test is, be prepared. If we go on vacation, we prepare. You know, we get airline tickets where we're going to stay. Have a wedding, 
You don't throw it together in five minutes. You prepare for months. What about heaven? John's message was one of preparing. Prepare the way, the Bible says. Matthew 3, 2 says, he says, repent. Change the direction of your life. Make a U-turn. Do a 180. The kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' message. Mark 1, 4, he was preaching a baptism of repentance, changing the direction of your life and asking for forgiveness. Luke 3, 8, he said, produce fruit of your repentance. Tax collectors, don't take so much stuff. Don't take extra. You guys who have extra coats and somebody has none, just give it to them. Somebody wants you to carry something? Carry it twice as far, he says in Luke. Luke 3.11, he says, the fruit, he says, um, oh, excuse me, 3.18, he says, he exhorted and preached the good news. Hmm. Now, I had a different story of that, but I'm going to change to a different story as I finish this morning. And again, this is one I read this morning. I probably should not read this one magazine on Sabbath morning because it always, a new sermon comes. You know, Honestly, one time, one time I read this and it's, I'll tell you what it is so you don't have to wonder what it is. I read it and luckily I had a long drive to the church I was going to. No, it wasn't a long drive. But I started thinking about this story and a sermon that come out of it and I was writing the sermon before I was ready to give the sermon I was supposed to be giving. But this story is about a father and family who are going to go Christmas shopping and the father wanted to go and buy something for the Wife without her there. And the wife wanted to go and buy something for the husband without her there. So they said, you take one kid and I'll take the other. They had three kids. <laughs> and they did, forgot after they took off that they left the three-year-old standing there. And she was kind of not in the mix because she got really looking at the Christmas decorations and all the Christmas things in the store. And go, wow. And they just were so intent on what they were doing, they left her standing there. Wow. She was captivated by what she was looking at. Enthralled. Didn't even notice her parents were gone. Kind of thought they were right there. A family was going to a church meeting program at a stoplight. And they stopped at a stoplight. And they looked over and said, Isn't that the Miller's daughter? And they looked and said, Yeah, where are they? Oh, they must be somewhere. Boy, that's kind of surprising. Well, I'm sure they're right there watching over. But we're late. And they kept on going. They wouldn't leave her alone in the streets. Well, when they came back together at the meeting place where they were going to meet, they realized that the youngest one had wandered off. So they called the police. They began a frantic search that cold night. Unfortunately, they didn't find her till the next morning, and she had died from the exposure. How do you think they felt, the author says? The hot tears discovered when they discovered that their friends had seen the girl cold and continued on to church. A chilling story, says Doug Batchelor, describes the condition of many Christians. So busy doing church things like the Pharisees that we forget that outside the church and in the world there are people who need to hear about the mercy of God and have it shared to them. That's why John the Baptist said, went to prepare the world for Jesus' first coming. A, a world, he says, 
Doug Batchelor says, a world that is mesmerized by all the glitz and the glamour around them and don't realize what's going on, that they're lost. His um, point for this, epi- for this magazine, by the way, he says, we shouldn't just be watching for Jesus coming. We need to be out witnessing and telling people about it. And that's what John the Baptist has told us this morning. He says his fifth point is to prepare the world for the Lord's coming. It starts with our preparing our hearts this morning. And then as we prepare our hearts and have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we'll have that shining light as the girl did in the story earlier. And we'll be like Peter and John who the Bible says couldn't keep quiet, they said to the Pharisees, about what they seen or heard. This morning, let's pray. Jesus, this morning I ask that you will help us to have your Holy Spirit come into our lives. I pray that this message that John has preached to us this morning, by his lifestyle, by what his focus was, will now get into our hearts and minds and stir there and stir the heart so that we can't just let it go by. We think about people like this young girl in the story who are left out in the world not realizing what's going on. There are a lot of people who don't realize what's coming down. It's one of the reasons, Lord, I'm I'm trying to tell my young people at school so they know what's happening. Help us to prepare for heaven and help us to get so excited in preparing for heaven by falling in love with you and giving our life to you that we can't keep quiet and we'll prepare the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.